The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Augustine's favorite song. Like I said, possibly related to David, whose sins were rather big, adultery, murder, deceit, and we could go on and on and on when we start talking about that dysfunctional family of his. Augustine, by the way, it said, um, had Psalm 32 inscribed on the wall by his bed when his health began to fail. One of the seven penitential psalms, the psalms of repentance. And this particular psalm comes to light even more when we see it in in light of Psalm 51. Now, Josh Dickard preached on Psalm 51 a couple months ago. And that's certainly the more famous of the penitential psalms. Because it's it's in 51 that we find um, David's hymn of repentance over his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. And when Nathan, his friend and brother, comes to him and confronts him over that sin, he goes to God in repentance over his great the horror, the horror of guilt and the joy of forgiveness is so very clear in Psalm 51. And scholars tell us that Psalm 32 was written after Psalm 51, which makes more sense as we go along. Or at least it made sense to me. might not make sense to you. The title is simple. The introduction, a masquil of David, is all it says. Some used to think that this word was some musical instruction for the musicians playing or singing the hymns. But we've come to find out that this word masquil most likely means an instruction or a teaching. I don't know why I drink water, because it's not helping my voice one bit. This is one of 12 psalms that says, Maskeel at the heading. It's full, all of them are full of instruction. Uh, and, and you see that, especially in this one, you see three times in 11 verses, you see that division, Selah. Selah most likely means... Pause and meditate on this. So, maskeel means a hymn of teaching or instruction. Now, we know that all Scripture is useful for instruction in righteousness, right? But for some reason, these these uh, twelve maskeels in in the in the Old Testament hymn book had some added measure of instruction or teaching. For us, and so we need to take take note of that. Let's look at Psalm 32. <clears throat> Let me read it. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. 
through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave, and you, it's emphatic, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You are my hiding place. I know you're thinking, why didn't we sing that this morning? Well, I'm the guy that picks out the music and I didn't want to do it. So there. You are my, a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed by bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now, just to make that connection, I think I'll read a couple of verses of 51. So turn to 51. Let's, let's look at that. So that introduction tells us right where we are in, in, in David's life. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And so we, and then first few verses, first nine verses, actually, we, we see his, the confession of his sins. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. I was brought forth in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me, purge me. And then we go to verse 10. Um, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. And here's the key verse I want you to look at. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. I will teach. Psalm 32 is the fulfillment of that promise David makes. I will teach. It's a masquille. It's a hymn of instruction. And I love that order there in 51. Is first, there's repentance, and then there's forgiveness. Then I will teach people your ways. Promised he would instruct other people's lives about God's forgiveness. And he fulfilled that promise here in 32. No greater, no greater happiness or, or joy or blessedness awaits a person who receives true forgiveness. John Trapp, one of the Puritans, said that Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 are tuned together. 
G. Campbell Morgan said, It is a psalm of penitence. It is also a song of a ransomed soul rejoicing in the wonders of the grace of God. Sin is dealt with. Sorrow is comforted. Ignorance is instructed. So we're just going to we're just going to walk through this psalm today. I hope you'll be instructed by it. See first the blessedness of forgiveness in those first two verses. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Oh, it literally translated that blessed. Is oh how happy. Joy comes to the sinner because God has completely pardoned him. It's, you remember in the in, in chapter in Matthew five, you in the you have the Beatitudes, then you have the teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, the instructions from you have the Beatitudes, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those just the order he does here. Note, too, that he uses, he uses three words for, um, for sin here. First, uh, it's, this is the nature of sin. He uses transgression. That's more, most likely a, a willful disobedience. That's what transgression is, a rebellion against. They're, 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 they're different Ideas and these different words that are used uh, for sin. Sin, as you know, is just missing the mark. You, 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 you shoot at the bullseye and you miss the mark. The bullseye would be perfection or righteousness. You miss it. That's what sin means, missing the mark. And then iniquity implies a, tw- a twistedness, a, a, a perversity. The twisted nature of sin. And each of these, transgression, sin, and, and, and iniquity, are some aspect of that moral offense toward God that can only be cured by God's mercy and forgiveness. And then he goes on, he shares three words, three different words for forgiveness as well. First of all, forgiven. That means to carry are to lift up, are to, to lift up a burden. We, we, you see that what uh, verse four? Uh, For day and night, your heavy, your hand was heavy upon me. Carry, lift, lift it up. That's what forgiven. The, the word there means covered. Means, guess what? To cover. You know when somebody tells you, "I got this covered." David said this to me. I got this covered. He said that to me before. We've got this covered. Well, that's what it means. God's got it covered. That's one of the words he uses for forgiveness. And then counts no sin. It's not so plain in the ESV as it is in um, other translations, but to account or to impute. New American Standard says, does not impute instead of counts no sin. In other words... Blessed is the man uh, against uh, whom the Lord counts no iniquity, is what the ESV says. And ESV does not impute iniquity or does not count against him 
his iniquity. That's the word uh, forgiveness. That's what the NIV says. And that's where we want to live, right? Isn't that where you want to live? Right there in the middle of forgiveness? Those who tasted forgiveness. That's, that's who we see in the first two verses. Blessed is the one. Blessed is the man. We want to, we want to be that person who's tasted of his forgiveness. That's the Old Testament teaching of salvation by grace. The imputation of an alien righteousness. But that means we're, we're covered. I got this covered. Imputation of an alien righteousness. This is wonderful. This is God's, God's, God's righteousness in, or Christ's righteousness imputed to us. It's what Luther had to nail down himself before he could even move forward. Uh, what was that verse? I think it was, Josh, what's that verse? Romans 1, what? I'm doing this off the top of my head, which is dangerous. 17, yeah, 117. That's the verse that, that taught Luther what the great exchange is. not going to be on the screen because I just thought about it. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's what he means by our sins being covered. Luther had to nail that down before we could have the Reformation. And what he had to nail down was that it's not my righteousness. It's not my goodness. It's not the... All the things that I do as a monk, all the studying I do as a monk, all the things that I do as a, as a, in his case, as a Roman Catholic. No, it's not my good works. It's some righteousness outside of me. It's an alien righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to me. And Luther called that the great exchange. My sin for Christ's righteousness. Talked about it often. That's the picture of the blood of Christ right there in the Old Testament. Psalm 32. And that picture we celebrate this morning at the table. Thus is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Is there anyone without deceit? Well, no. But in Christ, that's removed. Paul talks about this imputation in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And the reason we understand that this is what the Old Testament writer is talking about, because it's confirmed in the New Testament. Paul agrees with this interpretation. Paul made this interpretation in Romans when he's, when he's talking about justifi- justification by faith. Paul's talking about salvation by grace and not of works. And he quotes Psalm 32 in Romans chapter 4, 4 through 8. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. 
And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes from Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against the Lord who will not count his sin. Now, sin doesn't vanish away. It, it doesn't go away, but it's not imputed to us because Christ takes it on and Christ paid the debt. So we begin with this first teaching in Psalm 32 that salvation is by God alone, by grace alone, for the glory of God alone. It's a great thing, isn't it? Well, five of you think it's great. Next, we see the burden of guilt in verses 3 and 4. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. When I kept silent. That's why when I prayed earlier, I made sure we confessed our sins. Or else we keep silent. David said, my previous silence was just a refusal to acknowledge my offense to God. And I acknowledged it there in Psalm 51. Whether sickness was involved, we don't know what he means by that. My bones wasted away through my groaning. He, 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 He recognized that he felt God's chastening. He, he felt the burden of that heavy hand upon him. There was no relief day or night, he says, as long as he refused to confess his sin. And so we see there that there's some consequences for unconfessed sin. We see, in, in his case, physical suffering. Now, not all physical suffering is the result of sin. Not all physical suffering is the result of unconfessed sin. But in David's case, it was here. His cover-up was eating away at him. Physically, he was drained. Emotionally, he was at the end of himself. And that word for groaning that he uses there, that's a, that's a word that's, that's used for the roar of a lion. Or thunder. Or the, 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 the roar of a, 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 an army of warriors in the field. Or a person in extreme pain. That's what he means by groaning. We often not just physical suffering, but spiritual suffering as well. We see about David's pain and anguish in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. It brings spiritual suffering. It's providential. God's at work in that. It's intent. In David's case, it's intent, intense and, and heavy. It's that heavy hand of, of burden day and night. You have sin in your life, unconfessed sin in your life, and you feel that the heavy hand of that burden on you. 
the pressure of discipline. David felt that. Like a, my body's wasting away, he said. My groaning all day long. My strength is dried up as by the heat of summer. Like standing naked there out in the Middle Eastern heat in the desert. David was dried up. Nothing like the blessed man of Psalm 1. The first few verses of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. His delight is the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That's not what David's experiencing. All because of sin. I felt the heavy hand of God. I know what he means. The heavy hand of God's chastening. Look who you're up against. Confess. Quick. Next, we see the relief of confession. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover, up my, cover my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. I acknowledged, you forgave. It was, it was clearly a process. It might not have been instantaneous. He first began to acknowledge his sin. They come before you and you pray. You ask God to reveal your sin to you in your prayer time. And it takes time, some time for you to realize what, what you're doing. What, for God to get through your thick skull and those sorts of things. That happens. So it's a process. I, he, he did not cover or hide it. Finally, he said, I'll confess it. And like I said in the Hebrew, that, that word you forgive, it's emphatic. It shifts the emphasis to what God does. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. Confession of sin brings forgiveness. Acknowledging that sin. Ultimately, we know that... that um, that sin is against God. Uh, Psalm 51, verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and, what, and done what is evil in your sight. David now saw his sin as God saw it. He, he called his actions to it. He grieved over it. He, he, in this one verse, he uses the word sin two times, iniquity two times, and transgressions once. So confession is what is taught. And the result is freedom. Spurgeon talks in uh, Treasury of David, talks about, not just about sin, but he talks about the guilt of it. And that's important because David did too. He said, I'll cont- I, 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 I did not cover up my iniquity. Oh, at the end, you forgave the iniquity the, or the guilt of my sin. Spurgeon really focuses on that confidence David had and the confidence that we have that God does that. And it's just as certain 
for us as it was for David. We see this, his wasting away, and we see his turning around. Here, here's, how, here's how Spurgeon said it. I wish I could. I probably should have just got up here and read the whole, the whole sermon from Spurgeon because it's so awesome. But anyway, here's a paragraph. When the soul determines to lay low and plead guilty, absolution is near at hand. Hence we read, and you and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Not only was the sin itself pardoned, but the iniquity of it. The virus of its guilt was put away. And that at, as, at once, so soon as the acknowledgement was made, God's pardons are deep and thorough. The knife of mercy cuts at the roots of the ill weed of sin. Selah. Spurgeon says, Selah. Another pause is needed, for the matter is not such as may be hurried over. And then he quotes, I had to look it up, find out what it was. But it was one of the hymns that they sang in Metropolitan Tabernacle. Um, Spurgeon quotes one verse of this hymn. Pause, my soul, adore and wonder. Ask, oh, why such love to me? Grace has put me in the number of the Savior's family. Hallelujah. Thanks. Eternal thanks to thee. Oh, and I've got the whole thing. First one up after church, you get all the verses. And they're all great. It's a wonderful hymn. So when there's true confession, there's utter forgiveness, complete forgiveness. It may take you a long time to confess, but when you confess, God forgives immediately. David's absolutely convinced of God's forgiveness. What a confidence. You can have that confidence, too, just as David had it. And then the rest of the psalm, we see the wisdom of of his experience here. Verses uh, 6 and 7. Therefore, it's talking about, okay, there's stuff I've talked about before now. Therefore, it's connected. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance, Selah. This is David's application of what he's learned. The basis of a profound, painful experience. He becomes an instructor. He becomes a teacher, a guide, a counselor. Using the language of a teacher. And because of the availability of God's forgiveness, David pleads that we pray. Let everyone who is godly offer prayer. Direct instruction. Pray. Today is the day you go to him. Today is the day you repent. Today is the day you confess. Rid yourself of the guiltiness of that sin. This person who is praying for forgiveness will not go away disappointed. You'll never, ever go away disappointed when you pray for forgiveness. Like a rush of great water. See what he says there? Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. 
that um, reminds me of that. When, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, when the rush of great water, the sea billows roll, you won't be overcome. Praying person in the flood of great waters, when the sea billows roll, they will not reach him. They will not reach that praying man or woman who's praying to Christ for forgiveness. Christ is ever-present help in time of trouble. Seek him and pray, David says. The promise of forgiveness is certain. And this is not new. This is not something that Frank just dug out of this psalm. We've known this throughout Scripture. That's where you go. Pray. You'll be secure in the Lord. See that in verse 7? Makes three great declarations. Protection, preservation, and praise. Go, ben, can you go back to verse 7, 6 and 7? Protection, preservation, and praise. You're my hiding place. Protect me. You preserve me from trouble. Surround me with shouts of deliverance. That's praise. And then he changes voice. Um, as if God is speaking in these next two verses. Spurgeon says, the voice of God is heard. I will instruct you, teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Think about that. You see that? Instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Counsel you with my eye. Remember you get that eye from your mother? You remember that? Or your father? Dad could say things to me without opening his mouth, especially when I was a kid. I knew exactly what he meant. You know that look? If you have teenagers, you know that look? Like you're the dumbest parent in the world? That whole sentence in one little look. And we can, we can, we can, we can speak with our eyes and you have the ever watching eye of the Lord guiding you. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Nothing escapes God's notice. He can instruct us. He's guiding us. And then we have that warning in verse 9. Don't be like a donkey. Man, I had the greatest title for this sermon, but it probably would have offended some of you, so I didn't use it. Two particular creatures are highlighted for their edification of us. A horse and the mule. Both can be stubborn. Both can act stupid. So submit to the Lord's direction so you won't have to be guided by bit and bridle. You won't have to be steered that way. Don't be so hard-headed. You have to be jerked around. I'm that person. Don't say amen. I'm that person. I'm that hard-headed nut that has to be jerked around with bit and bridle. And I'll, 
my testimony would be don't force God to use that because he will. And then the last two verses. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. O righteous, shout for joy, all you upright in heart. It's contrasting those who belong to the Lord and those who don't. Now, who are the wicked? Well, in this case, in David's case here, the wicked are the disobedient. In our age, it's those who are without Christ. But I don't want to teach something here that's untrue. And we just put that word on certain people. It's the translation of the word in the English, so we have to use it. But that word drives people away. It, it simply means those who don't belong to God in this case. But there's not one set of good people and one set of bad people. No, we're all bad. And the difference is that some of us bad people are saved by the grace of God. Through faith in Christ. Their sins are covered, as David says. They've repented of their sins and found faith. Those who are righteous. Those whose sins have been covered. And righteous because of the grace of Christ. Not any merit of our own. Not any goodness of our own. That's why I say we're all bad. Just some are saved by grace and some aren't. Some have responded to the gospel, some haven't. And look at that, at the, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. At verse 11 sort of frames the whole psalm with verse 1, because he says at the end of verse 1, whose sin is covered. That's the righteous. He uses the same term for the most part. The same idea for the verse verse in the last verse. I'm not righteous because I'm better. I'm righteous because God saved me. And for that, I have no explanation. And we Christians are good at not believing that all of our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. We'll take on forgiveness, but then again, there's that one big sin. For some reason, we don't believe God can forgive, right? All are covered. Forgiveness is complete and thorough. My sin, oh, the bliss of that glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but all of it, the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. You know, and somebody did a study. I guess it was easy to do, I'm sure. They took the four Gospels and found that Jesus performed 37 miracles in the Gospels. 37 miracles of Jesus. When you think about it, they were all temporary. Blind man Bartimaeus eventually 
He, he may have lost his sight again for all I know, but he died. All those, all those miracles that Jesus performed, the ones that are healed, the lame that are walking, eventually they're, they're put in a grave. They aren't walking anymore. All of Jesus' miracles are temporary except one. The one that covers our sins. Forgiveness is eternal. And we read in the psalm, which is Psalm 103, 12, that, that those, those sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. And forever. Not only far, but forever. And so, church, in light of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Some of us don't show that joy. (laughs) Sorry. Glad in the Lord, rejoice, shout for joy. Some of us don't show that so well, the joy of that experience of having sins forgiven. But nonetheless, it is a great joy. God's great joy given to us freely. For our good and for His glory. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to the table... Reminded that there is possibly no better teaching in all of Scripture to help us remember what you have done for us. And so we rejoice. Thank you for your goodness, for your grace, a marvelous, amazing grace, a privilege for the church in covenant with one another to gather and share the meal today. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.